What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name, and that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week and we explore a match chosen quite at random historically either by myself or said guest to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another... Welcoming back to Sports Entertainment is Dead is, of course, a dear old friend of mine. You can catch him every Friday on the right side of the pond with myself. Uh, he was the first guest on this new look SEID, so it makes sense he's the first returning guest as well. Welcome back to the show, Mav. Feels like a bit away. <laughs> we do seem to spend a frightening amount of time with each other, it has to be said. And yet no time at all, strangely. <laughs> um, it's Royal Rumble season, uh, as you know, Mav, and, and Royal Rumble is... a uh, 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 an event and a match that has played, uh, I know, a very important role in my fandom, and I think in a bizarrely similar fashion as well in yours too. So it seemed only appropriate that for the next couple of weeks we deal with uh, a couple of Royal Rumble matches. Uh, that uh, one of which I am a big fan of, and I know you're very fond of too, and another one that I think we were perhaps a little more divergent on. But this week we're going to be looking at the 2013. Royal Rumble match. I was almost, it was my suggestion, I was almost loath to suggest it because uh, I know that uh, we've sort of, you and I have covered it in various aspects many times before, but um, the, and we'll jump straight into the reason why I picked it off the bat, which is um, I thought it was a good example of a Royal Rumble match uh, that essentially highlights uh, that whole issue about uh, the winner and, uh, and what kind of um, uh, winner we would want perhaps from a Royal Rumble or that perhaps a Royal Rumble needs because of course 2013 was defined by the controversy uh, that John Cena won it and it seems almost odd that that be controversial because John Cena always won things of course um, and so I know that a lot of people have 
uh, sort of disregarded it almost completely just because John Cena won it and we knew we were headed to a Rock rematch at WrestleMania that year. And I've always felt that that's quite unfair on what's actually a really good Royal Rumble match. So off the bat, I guess I would pose to the question, or, or rather open-ended one, you know, how do you uh, feel John Cena's win plays into the match, plays into the legacy of it as well, and whether that's indicative, you know, do Royal Rumble matches need uh, to have winners that aren't woefully predictable? Well, I think we've said many times before, when you actually look back through history, you find that in the vast majority of cases, the winner is incredibly obvious and it, and it has no, has no bearing on how good the match is. You know, I mean, if you think about, um, you know, Stone Cold's wins, both incredibly obvious. Well, I say all three of them incredibly <laughs> obvious, I should say. Um, you know, if you look at uh, the other rock one, you know, he was the top guy. Uh, even the Vince McMahon thing, although it's, you know, you might say that it was a twist. It was clearly, you know, that the whole Austin McMahon thing was the the dominant narrative within the company. You know, you get into the 2000s, you have one where Batista wins it. Um, you know, you have Brock Lesnar win one. Um, so it's like, it's not, it's not as if it's um, really a tradition to have an unpredictable winner. Um and so I've never really understood that. But what I what I kind of, you know, do understand is that in this sort of Internet age, people were not only sick of John Cena, but didn't like the idea of a second rock match because they felt like the first one, you know, was booked as once in a lifetime. And uh, and therefore they shouldn't have gone back to that, which, you know, is a, is a sentiment I can understand. But when it comes to actually judging the Royal Rumble match itself, the fact that Cena is a winner that people don't necessarily want does play into the storyline of the match does play into the performance art of the match because when you get down to that final two um with ryback they're absolutely desperate for ryback to win it and it it gives ryback a big boost to be in that situation where you know they're desperate for him to be the sort of not that you'd have called him an underdog necessarily but but to be that kind of um horse that the crowd were backing at that moment um, and and for sort of Cena to use his veteran savvy and to end up winning the match and you know have his dream of going on to face the Rock again and and to get his win back, um, you know, it's a nice story. And I guess you got the other aspects of it, which is that you know um, the Rumble that year didn't main event the show; it was main evented by CM Punk and the Rock. So I guess it's overshadowed in those terms too. And we were in that funny little period of Rumbles where there was some sort of controversy that attached it self to almost all of them and really it's say 13 looking back was one of the less controversial ones in the end i mean i was i was about to ask actually it kind of plays into that whether or not cena winning adds to the charm of it when you when you look back at it because of the fact that as you say you know it was sort of leading towards this era of uh, controversy ridden rumbles and rumbles with questionable uh, endings you know whether Triple H winning it or Orton winning it or, you know, what happened in 2014 and the revolt in 2015 and so on. And I know that this year we were we were sort of, not massively, but, but somewhat divergent on how we received 2019's uh, Men's Royal Rumble match. Um, and one of the things that I actually really liked about it, I haven't gone back and revisited it, and I suspect with the whole Nia Jax stunt at the end, I'd probably dislike it quite severely for that but one of the things i enjoyed on the night about it was that it felt really 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 
I don't like to use the term old-fashioned because it, it feels like it's got negative semantics. Um, but the fact that it was that it was so simple, uh, I think I found refreshing. And I think that's something that I find refreshing and, and enjoyable about 2013. Because Cena wins it, uh, you know, and he's the obvious winner, I see that as, as part of its charm, really. It's, it feels quite straightforward. It feels quite... Uh, it doesn't feel like it's trying too hard. You know, it... it it feels less self-aware than a lot of, of Royal Rumble matches of, of more recent decades uh, have, because in that situation, it's it, you know if you buy into the idea that Cena is you know the, sort of the fiction of it that Cena is the best on the roster, then of course he's likely to win the Royal Rumble match if he's in the Royal Rumble match, and they they play into that, and it's attached to a story, all right, it's a John Cena story, so it's going to be limited to how interesting it is. It's a John Cena story we've seen many times happening at the tail end of his career, incidentally, so it's going to be even more limited in how appealing it is. But it's still a story, and it's still a well thought out, well fleshed out, well executed story. And I, mean, I, I think. Really... Go on. No, no, sorry. Uh, I mean, I really liked John Cena's 2012, right, as a whole. Um, because whether by accident or design they fell into this Annus Horribilis idea with John Cena where he um, you know where he lost at Wrestlemania uh, to The Rock and then he was in these sort of uh, matches involving Johnny Ace and all sorts of things and he wasn't in the main event and CM Punk uh, and Daniel Bryan and people like that were you know really um forging a new direction for the company and he felt weirdly peripheral for a lot of that year um and you know so you kind of i mean we are in the reality era by this point um it's really started kicking to gear and that idea that that john cena in real life is sort of yesterday's news and then in kayfabe terms is starting to be yesterday news and he's desperate to sort of just hold that back for one sort of one or two years longer um and that motivation to still show that he is the top guy um and he you know should still be main eventing wrestlemania is is really well done and of course the night after this um is it the night after this or is it actually a little bit later i'm trying to remember but he has that match with punk it's after Elimination chamber he has the match with punk which is like punk's last chance to you know get the to get the rumble shot that cena has and get into the the match against the rock instead and you know it's 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 such a yeah it's such a well thought out kind of um uh little storyline between you know cena punk rock and all that stuff it's it's really well done i think it play i wrote a, a series of columns a number of years ago it might have even been 2014 the year after like a year on uh, looking back at the whole sort of road to WrestleMania in, in 2013, which had been so rife with controversy. And I know a tipping point for uh, a lot of people, a lot of long-term WWE fans, uh, uh, particularly it seemed around sort of LOP circles. Um, and saying that actually there's, you know, there's A, there's a lot of complexity going on in, in real terms at that time, but also exactly what you just said, that the that the, the narrative heading towards WrestleMania might not necessarily have been what people most wanted to see, but was pretty well done, uh, especially at the top of the card with Punk, Cena and Rock, and everything you've just said about his efforts to prove uh, in fictional terms that he's still, uh, you know, that he's not just not The Rock hyphenated, um, you know, plays into the second match with The Rock, which I'll be 
uh, discussion with Sir Sam on SEID in, in about three, two weeks' time, three weeks' time, um, and uh, and I think that that that's very effective, and it and it starts here, and so I think because of that, the 2013 Royal Rumble match feels like an integral part of the season that it's starting when so oftentimes in more recent years it feels almost like uh you could you could you could have it com- as a completely separate you know no relation to WrestleMania whatsoever at times it feels almost irrelevant um uh, especially since this trend developed of you know the guy wins the Royal Rumble but then opens WrestleMania or some nonsense like that um so well let's talk because it's it you know John Cena winning is is the predominant historical narrative of this thing but it's it's far from um you know the only thing that defines it let's talk about some of the uh, great performances in it because I think there are a number. I think Sheamus has a really solid out in the year after he wins it and looks like a former Rumble winner throughout, and I think that plays very positively. You have the the what feels straight like the strange inclusion, but it would kick off a new tradition of of more recent years of uh, Bo Dallas being an NXT entrant into the Rumble, and he has a nice little foray with uh, Wade Barrett throughout. But I think, and Jericho obviously with the with that massive return at the at the beginning of the match, which I'll come back to a little later. But um, it's really Dolph Ziggler's match. This, and I remember feeling so absolutely agonizingly desperate for him to win this Royal Rumble that year because it absolutely felt like his moment to win the Rumble, and then as a result take that next step, which of course is historically what the Royal Rumble uh, was once used for a lot of the time. And I feel like it's it's possi- quite possibly his best performance in the ring because it feels statesmanlike. And, he f- and it, if you watch it back now, he feels like the central star of the match, which is a match that includes, you know, you've got John Cena in there, Chris Jericho in there, you've got some big names in there, yet it feels like it's Dolph Ziggler's story. And I think even when you go back and you watch it now... When he gets eliminated by Sheamus at the end, it still feels quite anticlimactic that that occurs when it does. Uh, and so, uh, to me, you know, one of the the big big ticks in the positive column for this is that I would say it's 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 certainly Ziggler's best Rumble performance, but it quite possibly is his best uh, match uh, as well. And that in turn with what we were just talking about with Cena winning talks to that most pressing issue of recent years regarding the uh, put it in inverted commas wrong people winning the match I mean I, I had very similar feelings uh, on the night uh, I remember it's probably the first pay-per-view I'd stayed up to watch um, in, in quite a long time at the time and um, and I remember having this this really firm idea in my head that he would win the rumble keep the money in the bank match uh, you know, money in the bank briefcase and that he would lose one match yeah. And then win the other. And I had yeah. I was I was convinced they were gonna do something like that, which again I, I would have been so different and so new and it would have been mm. a, a different spin on what people like Edge used to do, and it would have been so in character for him to basically do a combination of Edge and Bret Hart and like, <laughs> have two matches on WrestleMania, you know, and with with the kind of insurance policy of having the briefcase. Um and of course they would do something innovative with the briefcase when um, when Rollins made that that uh, 31 match a triple threat of course a few years later um what i really love about this rumble is the the tribute to um 1995 Mm. um because ziggler and jericho are very much they basically do 
uh, Bulldog and Michaels, um, except they're not permitted to go coast to coast, which I think is a real shame. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I, I think when you watch, if you watch those two rumbles back to back, it, it really, um, as actually weirdly I have, because, you know, um, <laughs> we're actually recording this just after we've done our uh, 95 um, <laughs> recap on the pod. So, <laughs> so weirdly I've watched these two rumbles very close together. And, um, it, it flatters 1995 quite a lot that, that this is such a sort of loving tribute to it. Um, of course, the star power is a bit more surrounding Ziggler and Jericho here. But, you know, they've got a brilliant foil. I really want to talk about Cody Rhodes, actually. OK. Uh, because Cody Rhodes, I think, is a guy who has a succession of really good Royal Rumble performances uh, where he was kind of, I think it's maybe 2012 when he's like the real star of the show. But but around that, he, he was just really good in it every year. Like, oh nine, he was really good in it. And he just seemed to be that sort of glue guy that, that was holding the match together a lot of time. I think he goes like 27 minutes or something here. And he's got the moustache and it's like, you, you kind of like watch him in this match and you just think like, you know, obviously all this stuff that is water under the bridge with AEW and all that stuff. But you do think, again, another missed opportunity, Ziggler missed opportunity, Rhodes missed opportunity. You know, it's weird that you then get Kofi come in and have a 20 minute um, stint knowing what would happen with him uh, earlier this uh, sort of, well, I guess last year as, as the time of this is going up. Um, because, again, he felt like a missed opportunity for a long time until he finally got that, that big win at WrestleMania. Um, so there's a lot of interesting narratives with that class of 2008 in there, which, of course, has been one of the predominant stories of, the last decade has been that that class of performers and uh, and what WWE sort of did and, and didn't do with them, particularly as also you've got the Brian and Kane storyline playing into this quite heavily, you know, a year before Brian would be the hottest thing in all of pro wrestling. And I mean, arguably was was kind of coming up to that even at this point. So there's there's so much to recommend it. Um, even like little cameos like, you know, Zack Ryder, they mention his popularity on social media which was such a it's sort of a big thing for a long time um so there's there's a lot of really fun little stories and interactions that go around it and i think more than anything else as you said it's a rumble which doesn't mess around it it sort of it uses the traditions that the rumble has established i mean you get the kofi kingston pogo chair <laughs> in this one for goodness sake um but uh, it's it's not um, it's not trying to be anything other than a really and I know you don't like the word booking and stuff, but so I'll, I'll be brief. <laughs> but but it, it's it's just it's just a solidly booked and plotted out Royal Rumble, and that's the thing is that uh, one of the things that I I didn't like about nineteen is it just felt like when Seth finally won it it should have been such a massive moment in his career. And it felt like they didn't build it to the kind of crescendo where it's like, wow, Seth's won the rumble. Um, Whereas, you know, with this, the way that they do that last standoff with Ryback and Cena, when I was watching it back, I was like, you know, this is actually how you do a final two, not the Sheamus and Jericho, not the, (laughs) not, not the taker and not the taker and, um, michaels like actually just having a couple of minutes of of high jeopardy stuff 
where it looks like Ryback's going to meet hook him over the top rope and then Cena just uses his veteran smarts and Ryback goes tumbling over the ropes. That's such a great, clean way to end the Royal Rumble. And again, it's another reason that I really, I really enjoy it. And I think we were big on this. We were big on this match from the beginning, really. Um, as, as funny enough as we were with 2014 too, because ultimately, whatever you think about the winners, uh, in terms of match quality, they are absolutely brilliant. And I guess that's why we've come back to the central question of does the winner yeah. matter or can you enjoy <clears throat> it anyway? And and to an extent, the conclusion as well. I mean, you mentioned 2007 there in passing with, with Sean and, and The Undertaker, and people talk like that's often one of the, the best Royal Rumbles, and it really isn't, you know, because outside of that final show, final four, because it's a great final four with Edge and Orton as well, uh, nothing much really happens, certainly nothing particularly interesting, and it's a very drab, in terms of the content, very drab match all the way until the end, and so that often that final passage, I think, can determine the legacy that a Royal Rumble then goes on to have. Uh, and interestingly enough, actually, and, and to completely disprove my own point, um, 2013, I think, has a tremendous... When you get down to the last seven, and it's, you know, it's Cena, Ryback, Sheamus, Ziggler, Jericho, or oh, last five, sorry, and Orton, um, there are some, some outrageously good uh, sequences there. Um, but you mentioned, you've mentioned a lot of stuff there. One of the things I wanted to pick up on was the uh, the the stars surrounding Jericho and Ziggler's Coast to Coast, which, as you say, does feel like a 1995 tribute, and almost very deliberately so as well. Uh, and the reason I bring that up, and this will play into some of the stuff that I want to discuss next week with the 2018 Royal Rumble match, spoiler alert, uh, is that that it's it's like mid-card heaven 2013. Uh, if if that what we've referred to, uh, perhaps unfairly, but but nonetheless what we've referred to in the past on the pond is that lost generation of talent that never really managed to get to that top level. If they had gotten to that top level, 2013 would sort of watch back as their moment in the sun, their Royal Rumble, the Royal Rumble where they had finally kind of overgrown everything. Uh, and the fact that there that so many of them are, in fact, all of them arguably except for Cena, um, even. Um, are mid-carders, upper mid-carders, or lower mid-carders, but ultimately in the mid-card, I think makes it a really appealing match to those of us who have a, a, a little bit of a, of a leaning towards, you know, the unchampioned and the unloved, uh, as you and I seem to have with, with wrestling. Um, but also, importantly, there are a couple of cameos in there. One of them is Goldust, but it's fine because it's so heavily rooted in a character moment with Cody that we've seen play in the past between the two of them before this and obviously would be revisited later in, in that same year. Uh, and the other one is The Godfather, which is kept extremely brief. He, his music doesn't even stop playing, for God's sake. There's no, uh, there's no real sense of surprise entrances. There's no real overabundance of comedy. What comedy there is is very brief. And compared to the year before in 2012, where it was just abhorrently a parody of what a Royal Rumble should be rather than a Royal Rumble, uh, you know, it's it's like night and day. And I think that 2013, just as an historical article for that, uh, is, is actually really endearing as well. And I think the quality of the match is reflected in the sheer amount of talent. Uh, that's in the ring. So there is there is a bit of a, a, a very curious uh, symmetry with 1995 outside of that 
Ziggler Jericho performance because we've spoken as you say um, we're recording this in November of 2019 so um, only recently been talking about Royal Rumble 95 on the right side of the pond talking about you know the the historical narrative it has about there not really being any star power or whatever um, and I mean you heavy critics of WWE could be forgiven for saying the same thing about 2013's Royal Rumble but I think the, the, the key difference is with 2013 you get a very clear sense that they had an immensely talented roster at the time uh, and that really we perhaps should go back and, and as we're always championing people to do give that period uh, a second glance because I know that, that we've talked extensively both on individual appearances and together on the pond um, about the turning point the product had after SummerSlam of 2013, uh, barring perhaps that awful John Cena uh, Ryback feud in the middle, I'd actually argue pretty much all of 2013 is great, starting with this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, and even the Ryback Cena stuff is just so funny that that you know that's the space of hell that's like you know like if you want a comedy a comedy half hour then there you go um you know don't worry about putting your latest sitcom on just sit and watch that uh but yeah no i i, I entirely agree with you it's um it, it's it's one of my favorite years in all of wrestling um i mean obviously from SummerSlam onwards it really kicks into sure yeah uh, an incredible gear but but even even previous to that and 2012 has got so much to recommend it as well you know um the ironclad contract uh, i mean who could forget <laughs> um but there's i think you know it's a real sense of them you know the pipe bomb in 2011 blowing the doors open and then the sort of i know that the prevailing narrative has been that you know the 13 and 14 is when it was real you know the real kind of high quality stuff was going on but you can go back a lot further and find that actually they were finding their feet much earlier than people sort of realised that they were. Um, and and I think I think that I think that's uh, clear through the proliferation of established mid card talent in this Royal Rumble. Actually, you know, this is a this is a Royal Rumble match that feels like it succeeds in part creatively because you've got that a real when i was watching it back uh, the day yesterday in preparation for this podcast it was very very clear to me the roster position i knew where all these people all these characters slotted into the roster uh, and that means that Cena's win isn't offensive at the end because he's the top guy you know and the fact that he's in the middle you know that's a very the big the big name in the you know there's one big name in the rumble and a couple of kind of other slightly but other big names were not quite as big. You know, that kind of tiered roster positioning, uh, I can't bang on about it enough, is a huge, huge ingredient to a successful uh, Royal Rumble match. And we'll pick up on this next week in, in the 2018 one. And I think is in play in 2013 because you've got, you know, you know that Dolph Ziggler and Cody Rhodes and Wade Barrett and one of my favourite moments will always be when Cole says that the troops have assembled or something when Cena comes out and it's a big moment. You know, but tellingly, he he dispatches them all rapidly and eliminates about half of them. But um, you know that that sense of roster position, I think, reflects exactly what you were just saying. Is that a well? First of all, it allows the Rumble to succeed as well as it does, but also reflects the fact that this is a company that now had uh, an identity that was very quickly, uh, let's say, galvanizing. Well, yeah, but it, I mean, talk of galvanizing. If you think about this card as a whole. <laughs> You know, there's a really good Alberto Del Rio big show last man standing match on this card. 
Um, you know, you've got Hell No and Team Road Scholars, um, and and you've got Rock Punk. Like it's it's just it's a really good simple show. I mean, oh for the days when the Royal Rumble only had four matches on the whole show. <laughs> like you know what I mean? It's it's uh it's just a really clean show. Um, it watched incredibly well on the night. Um, you know, I mean, I remember going to bed quite deflated because I was desperate for Punk to win. Uh, but um, but but you know, like it was just a really great show, and and it's it's one which stands together with with that kind of synergy we've talked about good pay per views having uh, on the pond a lot of the time. Uh, and as you say, like everyone's got their role to play. You know, Brodus Clay gets to do his dance, you know, <laughs> and come in and sort of you know he gets eliminated by sort of five people it's like the sort of uh andre the giant memorial everyone in the ring has to gang up to push the fat guy over the top rope moment um uh you know you you, you get <laughs> how, how to reductively describe wrestling <laughs> yeah um, you know you get like uh you know nice little cameos from characters that are starting to, to blossom like cesaro um and uh sandal you know, sort of Miz was in the middle of his sort of like baby face nothing period, but but even so, like he's a former world champion at this point. So yeah, there's 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 so much to recommend it uh, on the whole, and each as you say, each one of these characters is really uh, is really carefully slotted into where they belong. Um, it's quite funny because when when uh, uh, sort of Darren not Darren Young, um, Titus O'Neil comes in. I'm half expecting to slide under the ring now. <laughs> it's just like, is this? Oh, it's not that one. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and you know, the it's look, it's not a perfect Royal Rumble. I mean, for for one thing, the the commentary is just horrific. Um, it was during that. In fact, I dare say we're probably still in that period actually, where they just obsess over statistics the entire time rather than telling any kind of story, which is a, a real shame in this one because there's. It feels like there's a lot of story going on, whether it's uh, Ziggler um, having you know the night of his career, whether it's Cena's uh, efforts at redemption, Ryback's attempts to finally break through that ceiling, Jericho's surprise return, and and what he's proving. You know, there's a lot of story going on. Yet all they do is is lamentably sit there going on about what Shawn Michaels once said about the Royal Rumble and how many minutes Tom, Dick and Harry have been in the Royal Rumble cumulatively over X number of years. And uh, I mean, it's not quite 2017's Big Cass is the tallest man to ever enter a Royal Rumble uh, territory, but it's not far off. Um, and I can totally understand why, why Cena winning it would feel deflated to a lot of people. But I think, you know, this sports entertainment is dead. It's all about making sure we engage more with the story and the fiction, the characters. Uh, and I think that the... 2013 on the whole is, is a Royal Rumble that because of the roster positioning because of its sense of story because of some outstanding performances you know if I was to revisit the uh, the show I did a year ago where I broke down sort of the key ingredients to the Royal Rumble match as a genre and what makes it work I think 2013 has them all in, in absolute abundance and I know that, that I certainly couldn't recommend it enough and I, I dare say you would be the same um, any parting thoughts Mav before we uh, before we call it a day here I suppose just that we should maybe sometimes as wrestling fans be a bit kinder to John Cena uh, I know that that sounds like a sort of outrageous statement uh, <laughs> uh, given that he's grown his hair and become a right weird actor Chinese meditation guy um, <laughs> but but, um, but you know 
as as much as he as much as he was at fault for a lot of the things that were bad about WWE for a long time in the late 2000s um he all you know the 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 role of top guy in Vince's WWF or WWE is a heavy heavy burden to bear um and he always bore it with a kind of uncomplaining dignity that I kind of can't help but admire. Um, and he would have a little bit of a late career renaissance after this match. You know, I mean, I know you're a huge fan of the second rock match, for example. And, um, and of course, he'd, you know, he'd already had his match with Punk that was, you know, widely, you know, widely loved. And, um, you know, a lot of people really enjoyed the sort of the US title stuff, even if, if you and I didn't so much. So I, I do think that um, it's worth saying here that this is a very good Rumble performance from Cena. And um, it was kind of the, I guess, the natural culmination of his arc to have that one last big main event at WrestleMania with The Rock. Um, and then since then, he's kind of, you know, has stepped back from WrestleMania spotlight quite a lot. So, yeah, it's just worth saying, I think. And I sub- uh, yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> um, I was I was going to make a couple of points, but then knowing us, we'll probably be here for another fifteen minutes if I do. So maybe we'll save that for an episode of the pond at some point in the future where we can dedicate some time to it. Um, Mav, thank you for joining me again um, this week. You will of course be back with us uh, next week. Uh, and next week, folks, if you do want to uh, check the match out before the podcast, uh, then know that we will be talking. Uh, and I'm very interested to discuss this with Maverick because um, we—I don't think we've ever had a protracted conversation about it. Actually, we're going to be looking at the 2018 Men's Royal Rumble match, which at the time, of course, was a rousing success for a lot of people. Um, so, um, you can, Mav, do you want to plug your Twitter before you head off? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can find me uh, at Neil underscore Pollock 79. There you go. So thank you, and I will see you next week. My thanks once again to Maverick for joining me for that little look back at the Royal Rumble 2013. As we mentioned, he'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can reach me if you have any thoughts or feelings about anything we've discussed on this week's show or on any previous show at all the usual places. Tweet me at LOP Plan. Find me on Facebook. Just look up Samuel Plan. Or you could join us best yet at our community LOP forums, free to sign up, easy to get to through our main site, lordsofpain.net, and be a part of a great community there. In the meantime, thanks for listening, stay safe, and have a good one, folks.